we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucking niece does? You know, I still get requests for what I should call you, and... And I'll try to throw them in occasionally. I can't keep on top of everything, but I, I appreciate all the emails. Very exciting emails. Some people are disagreeing with my last uh, rant on the last show about this or that. Some people, again, just uh, telling me how much they like the show, how much it helps them. And then, you know, people with advice and information and what the fuck stories. I love it. I love it coming in. Does that make sense, what I just said? I hope it does. I'm still on the road, folks. The last time I talked to you... I was in D.C., I believe, was I not? Well, now I'm in Bloomington, Indiana. I haven't been home yet. It's getting a little ugly out here. It's getting a little, uh, I'm a little lost. I'm getting, I'm starting to drift away. My air uh, hose is starting to detach and I'm drifting into road space. I'm in Bloomington. I flew into uh, Indianapolis. I did Bob and Tom. This is like the classic road you know, I don't do a lot of road because I've been, you know, relatively ostracized by the comedy club community over the last few years for whatever reason. But now I'm back in it, and this is really how it goes. This is a fairly classic uh, unfolding of a, of a, re- a week on the road. You know, I flew into Indianapolis a day early. I went to a hotel. Uh, I had a, a bad dinner at a bar and grill that was close to the hotel that I could walk to in a mall across the street alone. I went back to the hotel, uh, tried to feel good about my life, went to sleep as early as I could because I had to get up to do morning radio on Bob and Tom. I took a, a car service to Bob and Tom, local guy, guy named Tim, drove me in his uh, his little limo, went over to Bob and Tom, got there, did not have the breakfast buffet at the hotel because although it was a Marriott Suite hotel, for some reason, uh, you had to pay for the breakfast buffet, which I found disconcerting and aggravating. I actually had a moment where I'm like, does fucking Marriott know about this? I mean, I've been to a lot of these sweet hotels. I should get my free breakfast. I should be able to to make my own waffle, uh, that, and that should come with the charge of the room. I, this is how I know I've, I've spent a lot of time on the road. When I get to a Marriott Suite Hotel or any suite hotel, as I'm checking in, I try to scope out whether or not I can make my own waffle. Is that some, is that exciting? I mean, we're literally, when I check in, I'm like, I hope I have something, at least that, to look forward to in the morning. I want to pour my own waffle batter into that machine, flip it over and watch the light go beep, 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 turn it over and pull out a big old fat waffle. It's the little things, folks. But they had it, but they cost $10. $10 for a breakfast buffet on a weekday. I can't, and I can't, you know, you know me in buffets. I can't do it. I can't do it because it, I, I, there's some part of me that thinks, well, if there's still food up there, I've got to keep going. And I can't do that. But in the back of my head, I knew Bob and Tom, they usually have good uh, food there. They usually have cooked, hot, homemade food at Bob and Tom. And I thought they got to still have that. So I go to Bob and Tom. Sure enough, they got meatloaf. They got bagel and egg and uh, ham sandwiches. And then later... When I'm done, so I shoveled all that in my mouth because there was a lot there and I wanted to help out. And then after the show, someone during the show had delivered some sort of Spanish egg thing with a bunch of chorizo, shoved that into my face. So now I'm exhausted. I'm jacked up on coffee and a lot of nicotine. And then the guy from the club in uh, Bloomington, 
the opener, Ben Moore, funny kid. He picks me up. We drive to Bloomington. I get here to this cottage uh, hotel situation and pass out to do the show that night. Pow! This isn't just coffee.coop, though you should be drinking that, and obviously uh, they are still sponsoring the show. But what I'm doing, because I'm on the road, and because I have no car, and because I got up early to talk to you people, is they have a coffee pot in the room, which is one of the Bennies. Uh, that's another thing. You get to a hotel, you're like, do they have a fridge? Can I go shopping? Because Ben Moore picks me up at uh, in Indianapolis, drives me to Bloomington. I go to a supermarket. I buy a box of cereal. I buy some soy milk. I buy some grapefruits. I buy some apples. Uh, and I buy um, some water. Because by this point, after I've been on the road for a week and a half or whatever, I'm like, i got to get healthy. It's got to start here. But this morning, got no ride. There's no uh, – I, I don't know if I can walk to a coffee place – so they have a coffee pot in the room, and they have the folder packets that you put in, the filter packets. So I put in, like, three of those and about enough water for one uh, for one of them. And then I took some Swiss Miss, which I also have, and mixed that in to the really strong, horrible, pasty coffee I made to make what I'd like to call, uh, from this point on, a uh, hotel room road mocha. That's what that is. So here I am in Indiana. Pow! Oh, maybe not so much. Maybe a little, oh, God, I can get that down, I think. So I will say this about uh, Bloomington, Indiana. Great town, a college town, got out a little bit yesterday. And I want to tell you all who live in this area, even within a 300-mile radius, that this comedy club here, uh, the Funny Bone, uh, is going to be the Comedy Attic soon, uh, run by this guy, Jared, is a great comedy club. If you live in this part of the country... And there is somebody here that you want to see. It is worth driving to this club because this club is is in a way a classic comedy club uh, in in terms of how I'm how I see it from where I'm standing. It is a small room. It has low ceilings. There's an intimacy to it that if there's 20 people or 50 people there, uh, you're right there. You're right in it with the comedian. The sound is excellent. And it is a great place to see live comedy. There's no distance between you and the performer. There's no distance between me, the performer, and the audience. And for me, that that's a great situation. So what I'm telling you, if you live within a 300-mile radius of Bloomington, Indiana, I would stay on top of who's at this club because if comics that you like are coming through this club, uh, it, it, it is worth the drive. It's probably worth the drive to see a couple of shows. It's reasonably priced. And, and although this may seem like a liability, as a comic – it's a great situation because they don't have their liquor license quite yet, so they've got some, uh, I don't know if it's near beer or hard cider or what, but limited options in terms of alcohol. Obviously, you can get tanked before you go to the show, but the great thing about being at a show where the objective of the audience, at least at this point in time, until he gets a full liquor situation, is not to get shit-faced drunk for the show, is that you really have to do your job as a comic, and you're not dealing with a bunch of drunk idiots. So, so basically, you because they're not pre-lubed with alcohol, you sort of got to coax them out of their, you know, daily mindset into really paying attention and laughing. And and I thought I thought it was great. I'm I'm having great shows, and I love the room. So, given that the shows have been very interesting, that this is like, and as I said, I'm very excited to be on the road because I don't do it as much as I should. And being out here, I really remember what it's like. You know, Thursday night was great. Had a lot of what the fuckers out there. A lot of people came, a lot of listeners to the show, had a couple t-shirts in the room, signed some CDs, gave out some stickers, pressed the flesh with the good people of Indianapolis and people who traveled hours to come see me. I certainly appreciate it. Great show. Friday night, first show, last night. Not a full house, little tight. 
working people. Some people didn't know me. Maybe a couple of what the fuckers in the room, a little conservative, had to sort of pry them open and do the magic. And it was great. Even the challenge of, of, of getting through to them, of, of trying to, to deliver the funny goods in the way that I do it into the minds of these people that were clearly just coming out of work or whatever was a great experience. Friday night, second show last night got weird. And I don't know if you know me well, but I think a lot of you do who are listening to this. I like when it gets weird. I like when something happens that I don't know is going to happen and things just border on the edge of chaos and we got to reel it back in. This is what happens. I'm on stage. We're doing the show. It's a good crowd. And it's, it's, they're a little tight at first, but there's this group of people, some what the fuckers sitting stage left, about three or four of them. Uh, one woman and, and this guy are just laughing their asses off to the point where the room is so intimate. I can't tell if I'm even doing well with the rest of the room. They're laughing so much. Uh, it's it's a, a difficult situation where you're on stage and someone is laughing so much that it's actually distracting you from uh, from doing the show. I'm glad they were having a good time. But there were moments where I'm like, I can't tell if I'm doing well with everybody else. Uh, you don't want to tell someone to tone down their laughter. So fuck it. So I just started to to just ride the chaos. And they were sitting with a woman. Who, who didn't look happy. Uh, she, she was not, uh, didn't look like she was having a good time. And then I said something that didn't, uh, that came out in her head. I said something about Indiana, about being here and about how, uh, you know, Indiana, you know, this is great. The state's economy is based on, you know, pigs and corn. You should put that on the license plate. Uh, you know, we supply the nation's fat. Uh, it's funny, you know, and, and then this girl says uh, something along the lines of like, you know, why'd you say that about Indiana? Why don't you like Indiana? And then I started talking to her and I said, you know, you can leave. I mean, I, I like Indiana. It's great, but you know, you don't have to stay here if you, if you don't want to. And she's like, you know, I like it here. Why list three things that you don't like about it? And then it just got weird, but I could, I could get a sense, you know, that, that just beneath the surface there, there was something teeming in this girl. And I, I'm not sure what it was, but there was a slight, there was a drunkenness to her, but in her eyes was some sort of angry pain. And we're going at it and we're, you know, we're just sort of, and then she starts chiming in a little too much and it's a little distracting and she's sitting with these people that are laughing a lot and the other audience members are laughing. And then uh, she interrupts me again and I say, look, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry that he hurt you. And it got a little tense because people in an audience, uh, you know, they know I'm I'm driving the show. And when it gets a little weird, they hope that I can continue driving the show. And I suck them into an emotional place that they might not have been prepared to go to. And so I say that to her. I'm sorry that he hurts you. And she looks at me with nothing but daggers coming out of her eyes and goes, well, I'm sorry that she hurt you. And and then I said, you know, I said, marry me, of course, because uh, that was the the natural response next. And and then I sort of did an improv about what that would look like, like uh, that, you know, she eventually would be screaming, you're not my father. You're not my father. Fuck you. You're not him. And then just saying, you're just like my father. And I'm like, well, what is it? I don't understand. And then yeah, I, I told her, I said, well, you know, we could have a relationship where we just fight and fuck. And well, it just got weird. And then what happens is, I'm not sure uh, how it transpired, but I'm doing more show and everybody's having a good time. There's a slight feeling of chaos in the room. And then she starts talking to the woman who's laughing a lot, distracting the, the, the woman that's having a great time. And I said, you know, stop, you know, you, you got to stop talking to her. I mean, I, I, we can talk, but you can't talk during my bits. And then the woman behind the woman who's talking leans in and goes, you really got to stop. And then this girl was like, what? Stop. What? What am I? Am I talking too much? And then she starts crying, stands up crying and goes, I'm so embarrassed and walks out. 
So now I got a room full of people going, what the fuck? And I'm like, oh, my God, what happened? Because it was already difficult between us, me and that woman. We were having a, a bad you know, first date. Our relationship was not off to a good start. So she walks out crying. And now I'm up there having to manage a situation. And it's just out of control in a way because we're hanging there in this weird emotional moment. And then the woman she's sitting next to, the one who's really enjoying the show, says uh, she followed us here. So she's not even with this group that I assumed that she's with. So now not only is she crying, but she followed this group of people to the club. So now it's a really sad situation. And, you know, the audience is just like it's full. It's just teeming with an electricity of an emotionally charged event that it's, it's not what you would expect from a comedy club experience. I don't know what happened to her. But one of the guys in the room said uh, when she walked out crying, he said, there's your opening, man. And I'm like, all right, keep her here. Just keep her here. Maybe, maybe we do have a future together. But it was compelling. It was exciting. And the show, you know, got even you know more interesting. She didn't come back. Uh, you know, Ben Moore, the opener, uh dealt with it and the the guy that's featuring for me ryan singer a very funny guy very interesting uh act you know he, he, after the show we were all just like it would just it was it, it was if we'd been on some sort of roller coaster me and the three comics it was just one of those things where we had to sort of like uh decompress from we were all juiced up with all the the manic energy that comes from something you know something that extended that isn't really crowd work but is some sort of you know emotionally cathartic moment for an entire room for people where you don't know if you're going to be able to to drive through it you don't know whether you're not you're going to be able to manage it or whether the whole show is going to go into the toilet but it was clearly something that was much deeper and much weirder than just comedy and it and it all worked out okay it it worked out great and, and to be quite honest with you folks I love that kind of show because when I'm on stage and I don't know what the fuck's going to happen, literally not even about whether or not I'm going to get laughs, but whether or not the emotional content of the show is even manageable uh, is just spectacular because what happens is whether or not it can be repeated or whether or not people thought it was hilarious is that they leave that club, they leave that event having had a real experience, uh, having been, you know, kind of you know, thrown into an emotionally chaotic situation that did have closure, that did have some relief, that did have some humor. And it was definitely something that would never happen again. And that's what's spectacular about live comedy for me and what's spectacular about being on the road. And and again, uh, the the funny bone here in Bloomington that will be the comedy attic soon is is definitely worth the trip because it's a great place to see live comedy. And also go see these guys I'm working with. This guy, Ryan Singer, is... Is quirky and funny and dark and doesn't give a fuck. And Ben Moore is a, a thoughtful uh, joke writer and he's very funny as well. I'm just, I, you know, I guess I'm just happy to be out here. So now I'm sitting here. Uh, pow, maybe? How about, oh, God. Oh, my God. Ryan Singer, right? Ryan Singer, yeah. That's Got your it. name, right? That, yeah, that it is. Great work on you. It's been a real good time. Let me set the stage. As I was just talking about before I'd done that coffee thing, I told you what happened last night. And then Ryan, uh, I texted him saying I needed to get coffee. I needed help. And he came out here to the cottage hotel I'm at. And he brought me coffee. So now now I'm all fucked up. Well, I want to clear up the medium size question because you're like, how else can that read? Well, no, I sent you a text that said medium black. Medium black. You went, you wrote back to me, so medium (laughs) <laughs> what is? Well, I didn't know because I know how hardcore you are about your coffee. Yeah. So I didn't know if that was like some advanced level, 
like medium black. Like, is that what I have to ask for when I go in there? So you thought like this is some, this is some special Starbucks code? Yeah, yeah. For high level addicts. Because I just got into coffee a couple years ago, and I'm in my 30s now. What are you talking about? Yeah. How do you just get into coffee? Like, oh, you mean you just sort of like it's time? Well, I'm not even on to black coffee yet. Oh, well, no, uh, no one does that. So. What do you wait a minute? I'm just reading the side. Oh here. no! Don't 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 a, read that. A vente soy caramel. Soy caramel macchiato. Get out! Just get out of my room. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm lactose intolerant. I think I self-diagnosed myself. Okay, well that maybe explains the soy. But what about the caramel? Wait, I don't know. An ex-girlfriend of mine drank it, and I liked it. So I... is that? Are you making her up? Are you just saying that <laughs> <laughs> to cover for yourself? You, you yeah. thought of that yourself. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, oh, my God. No, I, it's not bad. So I was telling my people uh, here on the show about what happened last night. And mm -hmm. I don't know. You had great sets, by the way. Very funny. Oh, thanks. Last night was comedy magic. Well, I, you know, I, I, well, you know, when I talked to you last night uh, before the show and I was busting your balls a little bit about like how I wanted you to go up there and, you know, just, you know, fucking lose them. <laughs> and then you went up there. And you like I think you talked about. uh uh, uh, um, what movie was it? The Never Ending Story. The Never Ending Story for like 20 minutes. <laughs> and and I'm like, he's doing it. He doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't, you did a plot summary of The Never Ending Story. And I appreciate that because a lot of times as comedians, there's so many people who are doing comedy now that are just so concerned about doing their act that you, you don't, like when I started, you just never knew when somebody was going to lose their shit or whether the whole thing was going to come unhinged. And it was always refreshing to see someone go up stage on stage and just, you know, not give a fuck and just have the audience go, what's happening. And you did that. And I appreciate it. So what happened from your point of view last night? Well, from my point of view, uh, standing in the back of the room, watching this, uh, drunk girl slash woman, mm. apparently she was older than we thought, but, uh, was uh, very calmly interacting with you, like right. just commentating or whatever the word is on everything you were saying, and uh, then it started, but in a very personal way, right? And uh, and you were being very just on the level with her, and it yeah. was you weren't going after her with no. teeth gnashing, yeah. and uh, and then I remember at one point it was you kneeling down on stage. Because she was right up front for the people listening. Like she was, I don't know if you explained it, but she, like her feet were on the stage. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so you go to the corner of the stage where she is, you kneel down and you look her in the eyes and you just softly say, I'm sorry what he did to you. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that's when I, in my own brain, cause you know, as, as a comic, you just want to see this show spiral out of control. <laughs> That's what you want, because yeah, yeah. it's more entertaining. Yeah. And, uh, and so then I couldn't hear what, what she, she said. What she said was like, and, and she looks at me with like tears and hate in her eye almost. like, But not crying, but I could yeah. see there was, like I tapped into something primal that, yeah, yeah. that was wrong. And she goes, I'm sorry what she did to you. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you repeated that and the whole crowd could hear, I mean, it, it just erupted. Yeah. It, it, was so, it, was, it was almost like we were watching a very comedic version of... Of the notebook. <laughs> oh, no. But that's when I said, I, th I think like, I cried a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did, I think. And you could tell that you were being serious when you said that. Which is hilarious, of yeah, course. Like, yeah. That's when the audience is like, what's happening? Yeah. The, and, the uh, center people are hold. squirming a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, my God. But nobody was leaving their seat no. during this whole, nobody, until right. she left her seat. Crying. 
crying. When she first stood up from where I was standing, my vantage point, it looked like she was going to sneeze. She was like, I'm so embarrassed. Like yeah. She all of a sudden woke up from the drunken, angry haze she was in to realize that she was the center of attention. We got to see someone immediately. We got to, like, I think, witness. I've been thinking about this all night. I couldn't sleep because it was so marvelous. <laughs> I have diagrams drawn oh, up and shit. You should have brought the charts. <laughs> I think she, we witnessed someone step immediately out of the blackout lounge like she just left the blackout lounge <laughs> yeah like yeah, there was yeah. this big party going on in the blackout lounge and yeah. she came out and she's like what i was oh my god what? i'm at a comedy club who are these people <laughs> who are these why people? are they looking at me yeah yeah and then it then like it you said so it, it took such a narrative turn like, <laughs> oh my god shit just got real yeah and i'm in the back going thank you god this is the <laughs> and, perfect and show then, and then at some point i said this isn't all this is all happening in ryan's head <laughs> because your jokes are sort of abstract like that i'm like this isn't really happening here oh boy but the, the funny thing about that whole uh that whole event was like you know afterwards we were all like in the back room going oh man like decompressing yeah yeah like we didn't even want to go out we knew, like we sat in the in the green room just all manic and weird until Jared, the owner's like, I'm going to close up. Like, oh, what happens now? We can't break up the team. And then I don't know where you went, but I ended up at a Waffle House eating like this pie. That I don't even know what it was. Some kind of seven layer pie. It was like a pecan butterscotch mess covered in. Ooh. I, I picked up it. a 12 pack of Mountain Dew. No, you didn't. And watched the fantastic Mr. Fox movie. You did? Yeah. How was that movie? It was actually, it was all, I, I don't even. I didn't know anything about it going into it. It was awesome. Yeah. It was. Uh, I guess it's like PG rated. I mean, it was quirky and weird. And, well, it's uh, a Wes Anderson. You know, he's a smart yeah, guy. I just and, uh, I have a hard time crossing over into animated anything. You know, it takes a lot of coaxing. Yeah. So you spend a lot of time on the road. Yeah, I try to. My goal is at least three weeks a month. That's my goal that I shoot for to be traveling. So now, how often does whatever happened last night happen? Oh man, that uh, never happens. Oh, sweet. That's why it was so magical. Uh, oh god! And, and you know, we didn't get it on tape. You almost taped it. What the I hell know. was that? You're like, we should get this on tape. And you, what? You're like, I have uh, yeah. my camera. So I bring my camera this weekend. <laughs> Nothing. I have it. And I forgot I even brought it. And like, I'm sitting in the room while all this is happening. I'm like, oh man, I should be. Ta- we should be taping this. Like, this needs to be. I have my camera. <laughs> I'm not fucking leaving right now to go get my camera. I'm going to miss something. And then, uh, oh, God. this was just one of those comedy magic moments. That'll no, be, it's uh, in the ether. It's out. Yeah. It's done. So do you know, uh, have you worked with Robert Hawkins? Yes. Worked with Robert Hawkins. He's uh, like a, he's like one of the best road guys out there. It's like, I've talked to guys who work the road. They're like, you gotta get Hawkins on. Yeah. He's one of my favorite comics. Well, he's, uh, he's going to be on right now. Nice talking to you, Ryan Singer. Yeah. Thanks, Mark. Here's what happened. So I'm at an airport, and I'm tweeting, and somehow or another I tweet that I ran into Richard Lewis at the airport, and then uh, and then Bert Kreischer tweets, I just saw Richard Lewis at the airport. Marin, are you here? And I tweet back, yeah, I'm over here. And it goes back and forth, and Kreischer comes up to me, and he starts talking about how much he loves the podcast and how much he loved the Attell uh, interview. And then he says to me, he says, you know, you ought to get. I mean, you know, I mean, if you, you know, I'm out there on the road a lot and there's a lot of young guys out there who, who, uh, are really into comedy. And, and, you know, the, one of the guys that everyone talks about and would be fucking curious to hear what's going on in that guy's head is Robert Hawkins. <laughs> Bert Kreischer said that. Yeah. That's coming right from Bert Kreischer, who I have not had on the show. Then there was a flurry of tweets. Yes. No. Yes. Yes. No. He came up to me and said that. Oh, that was right. not done in public with Richard Lewis sitting there by himself. Richard Lewis, I ran into. <laughs> 
And I literally went up to him. I didn't know if I was going to go up to him. I said, hey, Richard, it's Mark Marin, comedian. He's like, I'm talking to this guy right here. He's from New Jersey. My pass is coming back. Five minutes on New Jersey. He goes, I have no time to talk. <laughs> Five but, minutes on New Jersey. But he goes right in the mode. I have a Richard Lewis uh, airport store. You do? Yeah, we're delayed. He's in first class. We get on the plane. We get off the plane. It's one of those long hours of, gee, are we going to get out of here? And I see him the whole time kind of minding his own business. Finally, when we get on the next plane, yeah. he sits in first class. I board. I walk by and I go, I blame you, Lewis. And he owned it. He did? He's like, yeah, I know. It's my fault. <laughs> Now, do you know him? No, just in that way. Yeah, know. that's me too. And I, you know, But after I walked away from him, after he, he didn't really dismiss me, but there was really a moment where I'm talking to Richard Lewis and I'm like, I'm not sure I want to be involved in this. Because right. like it was like it was coming at me. It was a hundred miles an hour. There was no real back and forth. He was touching me. <laughs> I, you know, as much as I, I love the guy, you know, I was sort of like, right. okay, I, I think we're good. You, you know, I don't know what I was expecting, but uh, I don't, I don't know if he even really knew me. Or, or it resonated that I was, uh, yeah, I knew he knew. I said I was a comic. I, yeah. But I got no sense. Well, he probably gets that all day these days. You know? Yeah. I'm a comic. I'm a comic. Yeah. I'm a comic. Did, now, do you find that? Like, I, 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 I find you shouldn't meet your heroes, which is why it was okay to meet Richard Lewis. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Hey, how you doing? What, what makes you tick? Man? Yeah. Next, next, next thing, I'm going to get an email from Richard Lewis. You know, I do know who you are. <laughs> I heard Robert Hawkins, who I also know. Uh, I think he's funny. He is. Uh, my thing about Richard Lewis is that um, uh, when you see him now, there's part of me that thinks like, "You haven't solved any of this shit." Yet? <laughs> I know, right? Nothing's gotten better. There's nothing. <laughs> uh, no, but I find that too. That like you know, when we were starting, there was some sort of system in place where you had an open mic, and people would say, "I'm an open micer. I'm you know, I'm just starting to do comedy." I'm an open micer. Mm -hmm. Now that doesn't really exist anymore, and comics just produce their own show for other comics, and they're comics. Everybody, I'm a comic. Right, and and I have a CD. Yeah. <laughs> There's a CD. Right. I haven't opened this club yet, but I have a CD and a DVD outside. That's right. And, and, I, and these are the first two sets I ever did. The CD is my first set. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you'll want that. Yeah, and the second set I did is on the DVD. So this is really <laughs> fresh stuff. It's completely unworked out. I know it's 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 both cute and tragic. It's I find it annoying because I find it somewhat insulting because there's part of you that wants to say you're not a comic, you what? don't know what a comic is. I couldn't live with myself with the hindsight of knowing that I put on my resume has opened for Paula Poundstone, <laughs> and, and I was finally when you first start out you fump for yeah yeah you oh, fump for yeah yeah is that right? what it's called yeah who's your agent Craig yeah Sleast <laughs> he's French Sleast. <laughs> Craigslist. Uh, no, you know, what's your resume? Well, what is my resume? I yeah. opened for Paula Poundstone last week, and that's it. And you put it on your resume, and you fun for it up, and someone gave me crap about it, and it's like, God, I am an idiot. That, yeah. That's just, who cares? <laughs> or how about those people that says, has appeared with? And that just means you could have been at the beginning of a night <laughs> right. of 20 comics, but you were you appeared with them right. on a show that had nothing to do with you, or even them, possibly. It, and it's okay. If you're new, you're allowed to make mistakes. That's fine. Don't yeah. sell your ten minute act as a DVD with a five camera shoot on a guest set. But if they, but the <laughs> thing is, is that they, if they fucking sell it, then they're they're fine with it. They're like, why? I sold it. I, I just think it's a different world now. And I haven't seen you in a long time. We did the, you know, we did the San Francisco comedy competition back, way back, like in '93, mm -hmm. probably. Yeah. And then, like, uh, you were always great. You always had a unique style. You know, a great storyteller, great joke writer, great pace, a great presentation. But you're a guy that I know is here. But then all of a sudden it's like he's on the road. 
You you spend more time on the road than right. most guys I know. You're like one of the only guys I know that is has maintained his originality yet continues to fucking go out there. You're like a real working comic. Now, I guess the the direction I wanted to take it just because I have a lot of comics listening to this is that how how many weeks are you out there? Last week was a a big one. It was a at least a record tying year of about 39 out and backs. Straight weeks in a row. Well, you know, when you say a week, it's not Monday through Sunday. No, so I know. I, yeah. You know, but a, a long, long time last year. I was home in my own bed for less than two months. And now when when you do that, like, I think a lot of comics you know, don't realize that, that, that that's part of the job, number one. And that, and that number two, you, you know, at some point, that is your job. I don't think a lot of comics realize that anymore, that, you know, part of the job is doing comedy. You know, week to week. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? They come out here, they're like, I just, I'm going to get on television and then I'll be all set. That's right. got nothing to do and with you've what you've got to fill do. the time. Yeah, that's right. So when you go out, I mean, how, how does it work for you? Because I can't, can you, uh, can you set me up with some, because I, I got nothing. To me, and, <laughs> the work is the, uh, is the suffering. And I know it sounds stupid, you know, to yeah. somebody who has a hot shower every day and a meal, but. There's a certain amount of suffering, either cramped up on a plane, cramped up in an airport, waiting, yeah. uh, living in a condo with someone you don't really like, uh, you know, a, a bunch of different things. Then you get on stage and you're rewarded for that hour. You get to be the the yeah. center of attention and be yeah. funny and try out your new jokes and everything yeah. like that. But you're paid really to get to the gig because yeah. anything can happen in between there. You know, God forbid all these things happen to you and you have diarrhea. <laughs> You know, yeah. You show up like, sorry, I'm late. They pick you up in a in a three wheeled car and they drag you to the the venue. It's like, go, go. There, then now there's a guy heckling. Yeah, this happened to me in Calgary a couple weeks ago. What? Well, just a long travel day, delayed this, delayed that. You get there and it's six degrees. Yeah, you know, yeah. you didn't you didn't bring the right clothes. You finally are rewarded with your time on stage. You step yeah. into the lights. Like, Belfast, some drunk Irish guy. Belfast. That's all he yelled the whole freaking time. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you got to manage that. You got to babysit for an hour. Oh. Fuck. Right. So you might have been on TV. Right. But you didn't handle Belfast. Yeah. Belfast for an hour. Belfast. That was his answer for everything. Now, do you find that, like, I, I don't, I don't have a good sense of, of what's out there anymore because I'm just now starting to, uh, to go out a lot more because I was, you know, in the subterranean world of radio and, and completely off the radar of most club owners who I hadn't alienated at some point. <laughs> now, what, now, do you find that there is work out there still in the States for, I mean, there's, there's enough work to fill a year for you? There is, but it's not well paid. Right. Unless you, someone knows who you are. I mean, that's common knowledge. Right. If you're not a draw, you're going to make just enough to, to get by. And, right, to live. And that was okay for a very long time. It was yeah. like, okay, they're paying me. I can eat, pay my rent, do comedy, chase women, get drunk. What's the I mean, problem? Yeah, this is perfect. Right. It, it gets old. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're like my age or so. Right. Now, I mean, I've written and I've done other projects and I've, I've you know, spread out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, past being just a club comic right but only a little bit and i think that the reason for that is is that i didn't set higher goals in the beginning right the highest goal i could have thought of would be to be headlining uh improvs funny bones the circuit as they call it that's the same that's the way i felt too like i want to be a a comic right i i want to be able to do an hour right and then all of a sudden you're like ah no i just i need to do another hour right (laughs) I, i felt less like a comedian and more like a like a bandit who would come into town be charming enough to sneak that check out of your pocket, right? And right. fool everybody into thinking I'm funny yeah. and getting the hell out of Dodge week after week. That's right. what more like it felt like. Now, there are other rewards. There's rewards in <laughs> Yeah. The the benefits. The, right. You can get free soda. Saving money. Yeah. Some... Having health insurance. Oh, you mean the things that you could have had. Right. Yeah. Right. 
But, but uh, you're undermining the fact that some uh, clubs are next to malls that have deals with the movie theaters. I am undermining. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and free and, flicks. Yeah, you get free movies sometimes. Right. Uh, occasionally, when you do a, a morning radio show, they have uh, a sponsor that's a food outlet that will actually bring food to the radio show. Once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> you'll get a vitamin water. Yeah. You ever, uh, you ever go to do the morning radio where they're like, all of a sudden there's like fucking like, you know, 50 breakfast burritos? And they're like, oh, yeah, every Thursday it's bre- breakfast burrito. Day. I'm usually better on those shows. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I got the coffee. Thank you very much, Mark. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what I say is is that for me, it was all, always an adventure. Yeah. And, and it still is. But uh, I, I neglected the hard work that's involved to take it to the next level. Uh, admittedly. Do you think that's really hard work? Do you think you're not being hard on yourself in that a certain amount? Like, because a guy like you, I, I know, has paid his dues, has maintained his voice, has an original uh, delivery and, and material, and, and yet, uh, you know, it's not it's not based on justice. This fucking thing. I mean, if it was if it was if the business was based on talent, a lot more people that we know and we respect would be doing very well in show business. But it's right. not a meritocracy. It's some sort of fucking right. freak show run by 10 people who talk on the phone with each other all day long. And if one of those people says, I don't know about Marin, you're fucked for three years. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, if, am I misunderstanding how it works? No. I mean, that's how, <laughs> that's how the world works. Oh, shit. The whole world's like that, yeah, so, Robert. So stay, stay with, with what you got, buddy. Oh, fuck. No, I'm saying that uh, I don't feel bitter and I don't feel victimized. And right. I, and I'm not angry. I'm just saying that uh, my the, the means to my end... Embraced laziness. Uh, on a Friday night, when the owner says, hey, we're all going to a topless bar and we're going to get shit-faced, you don't go, hey, I'd rather work on a screenplay back at the house because... No. You see, you'll get a, you'll get a screenplay and a deal and be a multimillionaire, Joe right. Apatow. Yeah. But I am good friends with the guy in South Bend, Indiana. Yeah, yeah, right. And I'll be back there next week. And I know Ginger. And Ginger... Is I'm, there. Yeah, and, and she'll be there when I get back. And and her three kids. Yeah, yes. which is always nice. You bring presents for you know them. Who won't be there? <laughs> the father. <laughs> yeah. But Ginger? Yeah. She and loves open me. tab at the, at the bar. I, I like that uh, I'm trying to figure out what year that might have been where they were still called topless bars as opposed to strip clubs. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> topless bars. Well, it's morning, it's radio. I think it's morning radio, and it's not. <laughs> it's not. Uh, no. But the one funny story I have about Judd Apatow, the reason I bring him up is because uh, I opened, he middled Dallas Improv mm-hmm. before I met you, early 90s. Yeah. And uh, both in the condo together. Yeah. Now, I immediately go out and I slept with someone's girlfriend and I got drunk, which was... <laughs> in that I, order? Or what did I thought... Did you get drunk first? <laughs> Sorry, the other way around. Yeah, okay. At a, at a topless bar. No. <laughs> no. My, my, I can tell you a one-sentence story about Dallas. I asked this waitress, can I crash at your house tonight? I don't have any place to stay. She goes, yes, but please don't fuck my mom. <laughs> That's the whole story. <laughs> what else do you need to know? She was hot and she was frisky. Uh, but anyway, I come back to the condo drunk about 2 a.m. Yeah. There's Judd yeah. with a typewriter yeah. at, the, at the, the kitchen table writing. Yeah. And I walk in with one eye open and I go, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm writing. And I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> cut and to. I, and I went and passed out with one leg yeah, off the yeah, bed. Yeah. Yeah. Cut to. Judd Apatow owns Hollywood. Owns it. Yeah. Why? I don't think people really understand the idea of the comedy condo and how fucking horrendous it can be. Like, I think truly one of the saddest, one of the ones where even when I was feeling relatively good, I wanted to jump out the fucking window was San Antonio, Texas. Oh, yeah, yeah. Have you been in that one? It looks like someone was murdered while they were working on their Harley in the living room. <laughs> yeah, and it's on, it's on the, like, fourth floor. 
Like he had to bring the Harley up. Is that the one you're thinking? Of? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's on the seventh floor. Well, yeah, it's fucking. It, it was so. It's it was like, pretty nasty, bro. Yeah, because it's like the patent leather sofa is still sticky. And it, I'm not needy. I really, I'm not. Oh, that one's fucking brutal. It's brutal. And then the Tucson was famous. And uh, Tucson, wait, uh, Akron, Ohio was the 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 end all. That what was, was that one? one? That Why was, was the one where the where you entered the condo through the kitchen, yeah, through a big door, and they lock it behind you as you go in. So I would sleep until uh, about five minutes to showtime, and I would be uh, awakened by the music starting the show. Oh, so it was in the club? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. And it was nothing in there. It was just nasty. And oh, Christ. It was really bad. And then I would hear the music start, and I'd go, well, I'd get out of bed. <laughs> I guess I should comb my hair. And I'd shower and walk straight to the stage and eat a you, big shit sandwich. Do you, <laughs> now, in, in terms of spending so much time on the road, because I, 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 uh, do, there, who's still out there, dude? You know, when you say who's still out there, who's not still out there? People hold, grab onto this business and they do not let go because it's so fun, you know, to, to do comedy, I guess. It, it doesn't matter that you have someone else's kidney and, you know, you're working <laughs> you're, for a Tribble. You're waiting for a liver. Right. Now, let's talk about that Tribble. Now, see, this is a name that my listeners are not going to know. What What is a Tribble gig? Well, a Tribble gig's like a Yoder gig, uh, but not as posh. <laughs> it's, also, it's also like a C.W. Kendall gig. <laughs> You know, I was pitching a, uh, you've heard of the Tourgasm? Yeah, yeah. I wanted to do a downscaled one. Yeah. You know, you always see where Chris Rock and Dane Cook end up in yeah. big theaters. Yeah. You don't see how they got there. Mm -hmm. And I want to take a van and you and Jim yeah. Short yeah. and do Tribble, Yoder, C.W. Kendall. There was a bunch of other guys that just book a string of one-nighters yeah. in hotels. Yeah. And you could be on the road for a month straight and come home with like 200 bucks. You know. See, people don't realize that these are guys, these are comedy bookers. This started to happen, I think, in the early 80s or mid-80s, where comedy promoters would uh, do deals with hotels or any bar and grill in town to have a comedy night. Mm -hmm. And they pay people like me or Robert. About 25% or less. It was usually like if you were opening, you'd get 50 to to $100, and you sometimes right. would have to drive six hours right. to do one gig. Every day. Right. And then they put you up, and then the next day you drive three hours to do the other one. And they would all be fucking horrible. <laughs> I remember one time, Barry Katz, who, who has gone on to manage Dane Cook and Jay Moore and you know several other people, Whitney Cummings, I believe, started his business in a basement in Alston, Massachusetts, and was the, he had an empire of these one-nighters. He was one of those guys? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's how I started, was doing one-nighters. I would open, you know, I would, I started my career not, not in a standard way, where it was usually a two-man show, and if, and if you were new, you'd be the opener and have to drive the headliner, usually. You'd do a half hour, he'd do 45, and then you'd get the fuck out of there. Right. But I just remember one time trying to sum up. You know, what you were dealing with, there's a lot of horrendous situations where you'd walk into rooms that were side rooms in bars and they'd just have like a guitar amp plugged in, you know, a mic plugged into it. And they'd be like, just stand over there and we'll, let me get the people <laughs> right. in. That kind of shit. And then there was one that- TVs the, are still on. Yeah, yeah. The playoffs. Oh, shit, yeah. Blenders. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> people that are mad at you for, like, literally, they're not even looking at you. But they paid the $250 to have the comedy night. And then there was one, we, there used to be one at the Taunton Regency in Taunton, Massachusetts. It was a hotel. And I walked in and where the lounge was, where they were going to have it. That was the worst part too, was when it was one thing to have the middle of the bar with no setup. But then there was that period where every place had a dance club. So you'd be on there with one of these big fucked up wireless mics yeah, yeah. in the middle, you know, on a stage. It's too big. Yeah. No one knows how to fucking work it. They're playing pool. Yeah. And then like I looked at the calendar. It said, you know, Monday, country western, Tuesday, disco, Wednesday, free food. 
and comedy. <laughs> like I'm, you know, I'm second to, to featuring the, for food. free for free food. <laughs> And I, and it was just one of those very revealing moments. I didn't know how it was ever going to end, but, but I don't think people understand that, like, you know, if you do those things, that you're, you, you're like a gypsy. You're out in this world. There, there's so many comics that nobody fucking knows about that are still out there. Like, there's that John Fox story that I always loved, and I don't even know who the, do you, is he still around? There's he, a million of them. Yes, and he still takes gigs, and the, the stories I hear about him get worse and but, worse. But it's a really gross story, the, my favorite one. Well, the, the, see, this is like, <laughs> if I can explain to some of the people out there, is that, you know, John Fox is this, this comic that's been around for at least 25 years, right. 30 years. I mean, he was already a road warrior when we knew him. He's very filthy, and. He's very well known for a while, too. I mean, he was making, uh, you know, good money on the road for a long time. Right. And, and, and every story about him is always like, you know, oh, did you hear that one? Like they, they're just, you know, mythic road horrors. They all start with, well, I got this girl, girl back at the condo. Yeah. And, uh, she wanted me to bang her in the ass. And I, I couldn't, I've been doing blow all night. I could no sooner bang her in the ass and I can get it up. So the one I, I don't even want to tell it. I don't want to, but they all start. I got this one old gal back at the condo and. Uh, you don't want to tell it? She want me to urinate on her. Well, I can no sooner urinate on her and I can fuck her in the ass and I can get it up. I've been doing blow all night. but So I try to squeeze off a piss on her and uh, I squeeze and I'm squeezing and a milk dud sized turd shot out of my ass and rolled across the floor. Well, now she gets up to take a shower because I just took a piss on her. I'm searching around looking for this milk dud sized turd, but I can't find it because I, you know, I, I can no longer, I can no sooner find this damn turd than I can take a piss, I can get it up and fuck her in the ass. But I finally find the milk dud sized turd and I take it into the kitchen. I'm looking for a trash. Well, I can't find a trash. She starts coming back in. I throw it in the, into the garbage disposal and whip it up. Oh, no. She walks into the kitchen and says, something stinks. And I go, I think it's the garbage disposal. She walks over to the garbage disposal, takes a whiff, and goes, Yep. <laughs> it's the garbage disposal. He does that on stage? No, it's just the one I heard. Oh, he no. actually told me that one. He told you that he one? He told me that one. And he, and he swears by it. There was the, the one that I thought was great was... Um... <laughs> This actually happened some back in the day when I was at the comedy store as a doorman and we were all, you know, doing a lot of blow and hanging around and staying up way too long and and it was uh it was one of these situations where you know, we were all I think it was talking about that. We were backstage, I was talking to some people about doing Coke and we we're just sitting there going, God man, I hate it when you you know, you can't sleep and you're sitting in bed and you're you're just you know, we're just sharing blow stories and there's like three or four of us and, and Fox goes, You know what I yeah, I, I can't stand it, you know, and you're just sitting there alone in the condo and you're jerking off and you got a hairbrush stuck in your ass and you're just sitting there thinking, God, I hope I don't die like this. <laughs> And it was one of those moments where everyone's like, oh, no, I, I, <laughs> not really. <laughs> I haven't been there. I haven't had a brush in years. <laughs> yeah. I'm bald. You were in the service too, though, weren't you? Yeah. How long? Three years. Just long enough to, uh, you know, I was in from 85 to 88. You don't hear about anything happening during those three years, right? Right. Okay. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> why'd you join? Because you didn't know what else to uh, do? Not, nothing else to do. Yeah. Absolutely. It was, it's a ticket out for a lot of people. Yeah. You know, if you counted the, I would like to see the percentage of people who, in the military, who consider themselves patriotic or gung ho, as opposed to the people who just had nothing else going on. I've talked to many of them. I get emails from some of them, and the ones I've met are just sort of like, oh, "Dude, I just wanted to have something to do." Yeah, it doesn't mean they're lesser soldiers, right? No, no. of course not. Because, I mean, that's their job. You're a soldier. Doesn't mean you have to be like, "Fuck yeah!" Right? But there's only one or two per hundred that have a flat top and are like, "USA!" Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and actually, they're annoying to the rest of them. Yes, they are. Oh, I, the reason I got out yeah. of the military yeah. is based on one statement I overheard. What? And it was this. 
Helicopters do not fly. They beat the air into submission. I'm like, yeah, uh, that's it. I put up with a lot, the fighting and the, and the suicides. This, this is, I don't want to be that guy. Helicopter do not fly. They beat the air into submission. Okay, pal. Yeah, that's a career guy. Yeah. Where now? What What are some uh, pivotal? Uh, you got any specific road experiences that were life changing? I don't know, man. Like, uh, I can take anything pretty much, you know. But when I feel like I'm being uh, ganged up on or attacked or whatever, I, you know, tend to. I have I have a mild PTSD. Yeah. You know. Do you from being in a mild post traumatic stress from being in the service with no war to fight? Part of the part of the events that were in the right. right. Hey, we fought to stay awake. Yeah. Uh, somebody slapped me. No, it's a it's a mild case of don't. We can do anything, but just don't come at me. Yeah, know, yeah, physically, yeah. you might you might win, but there's, you're gonna yeah. go to the hospital <laughs> with, a, with a bite mark. You know what I mean? Some scratches. He bit me. What the fuck? He freaking bit me. <laughs> She just the idea of the rowdy crowd idea. I, you know, there's still. I mean, I don't know what kind of comic I am, but I fucking hate that. I mean, and I can feel it. In I know because I can, you you prepared yourself to come up there and give them a really good show, and they could give a rat's ass in some cases. Yeah, or or I just wanted to get something done other than having to you know just get through it. And I can't you feel that when you get in front of a crowd? There's just is there a pocket of of badness, and you and you can feel the energy of it like oh, over there. There's something bad. Over well, you there. have to feel out the club as much as the audience because yeah. you have to know what they're willing to let you do with a rowdy crowd. Right. Right. There's some clubs that that, that feel like it's part of the deal. What yeah. kind of comic are you if you can't handle a few shout outs or whatever right, like right, that? Right. And, I, and I kind of agree with that. You I, are a club comic. You're dealing with drink, drunk people. It's not going to be a library in there. For well, you. I kind of agree with it, too, because there because there's no way, you know, uh, if if you either if either they come and have someone removed that's that's bad because that means like a bunch of people are going to be like oh christ couldn't handle it why are they taking him out why that why does that right. guy have to leave or some some crowds are appreciative because they're fucking the show up for everybody but if you say could someone come get this guy get rid of this fucking guy then there's really even if people agree with you you're still a dick right that's the trick that's the that's the trick i was taught early on by somebody which is keep the crowd on your side at all times the right. majority of people Right. Don't do this. You know what? Fuck you and fuck the rest of you. Right. Which, Let's get on with the show. Don't do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I can't take when they just interrupt for no reason. Right. It's just a conversation for them. No, I mean, like you're you're in a setup for a joke that if this setup and joke doesn't work nice, it's going to ruin the next five minutes because you have sort of a chunk. It's delicate. They're, right. They're called chunks. Yeah. That's what I call them. Chunks. I call them a nice solid sure. slice. You know, long bit. Yeah, here's a here's a hunk. I got a chunk on uh, my shoes. Right now, this joke has to work in order for that. Everyone has to hear this part. Right, you can't fuck the timing up, please. Yeah, and then yeah, uh, anything you know, just yeah. brah, and they yeah. break it up. Now, no one's focusing anymore, and yeah, and we miss the pivotal part of the chunk. Right, that I'm going to call back later. But the next time that happens to you, Mark, and I'm yeah. here, I'm here to help. I'm because it's been a long time since I've been banned or kicked out or left without being paid. Just remember that it's not about you, it's about the alcohol. Yeah. And buy the guy as many shots as you can until he's passed out on the table, and then you go into your stuff about... Uh, Maybe have a drinking contest with him or dare him to do something. I've seen that's a pretty good one where you go, hey, get this guy a shot. I like this guy. Yeah. Hey, that guy. <laughs> yeah. this guy. Get him another one. Come on. Get him another one. Get yeah. it right. And put him out. And uh, But what's what about the odds of him doing it louder? Like, yeah. 
Well, if you can't handle that, if you can't, if you don't know what to say you to that, a moron, a drunk moron. Oh, they, I've seen those people, man. But have you ever had to, like, like I had something happen the other the other time where where I got to talk and some woman got kind of mouthy, and it, I was talking about politics or something, and she sort of went, "Well, I don't, I think communism, you know, I don't remember what it was." And it was clear to me that the guy she was sitting with did not know she had the opinion Uh-oh. that that she had. And by the end of my set, after I was done, she was crying. And he was looking at me going, oh, just nodding his head like I had no fucking idea. Like I felt like I destroyed a relationship. Have you ever done that? I haven't had the pleasure uh, <laughs> to do it so succinctly with one hunk of material. Have you ever made anyone cry? You know, not on stage necessarily. Right. In the private shows. <laughs> <laughs> At a corporate. Right. I gave a guy a heart attack in St. Louis. You did? Yep. Good for you. Right when I was peeking, where it's supposed to be, the guy falls out of his chair, has a heart attack, ambulance comes, I come off stage, and I, and, I, and his friends had stayed. Mm-hmm. I guess I was doing that well. And, and I, so he's in the hospital, and I go up and I gave them the CD, and I go, give this to him and finish the job. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear back? No, they laughed, though. I had a moment where I was at a, a club in a bowling alley. This is a Barry Katz gig. <laughs> in Cranston, Rhode Island. It was the Cranston Bowl. They had comedy night there. They had a lounge that seated a good 300 people, and it was on the same night as Bowling to the Oldies. So mm. so you could see out the windows of the lounge during the comedy show, uh, you know, like kind of crazy disco ball and lights and people bowling to, like, you know, the big bopper. And I'm doing my show, and it's like their opening night, so it's packed, and I had this whole chunk on plane crashes. That was pretty graphic and completely unnecessary, but insanely dark and funny. And in the middle of this bit, a woman screams, Stop talking about plane crashes! And I knew in that moment that it was bound to happen, that you know somebody she knew had died yeah. in a plane crash. Well, see, you're one of these comics, like a, a lot of my favorites, uh, like Dana Gould, for example, yeah. who really commits to whatever bit he's doing. Now, the problem with that is, is that you're dealing with people who don't commit a lot. They believe that you think you're right. Yeah. Rather than the truth, which is you only have to prove that you think you are. Right. Well, the punchline could be anything. It's a comedy club. Your angle could be anything. Right. You don't have to be right. Right. You just have to be, you have to prove that you think you are in a funny way. Right. That's the only thing you owe anybody in that room. That's, that's a good way to put it. Well, well, I was in this moment where the whole place just screamed to a halt because the emotion in her scream was like, because you, sometimes you forget and some yeah. people have had a couple cocktails, they're, it's just you and them. They, they don't, they're, they're no longer part of a crowd. They're just reacting. Yeah. And I was like, uh, you know, it was like that weird moment of silence. I'm like, what, what happened? She goes, I just lost somebody in a plane crash. Right. And it was like, it was just this horrendous sucking silence. I said, well, you know what? I'll just do my cancer chunk. Uh, and, and and thank God, man! Just turn the fucking corner, man! Just turn the corner. <laughs> Never leave. Oh, there's just some moments that are just like they're just too profound. I remember I learned the lesson, the cunt lesson, early on, where I called a woman a cunt in the first five minutes, and then uh, I, I couldn't get him back. Yeah, you know, my sister is a very uh, liberal person, and, she, and she's she's really cool. But we're playing golf, and I yelled, I yelled, cunt. Yeah. And she goes, she looked at me, 
you know, she loves me. Anything I, I can do no wrong with her. But she says, not that word. Yeah. Why that word? Right. Well, the next time I hit a bad shot, I yelled country whore. Yeah. How'd that go? She didn't mind that. <laughs> but that's three things. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. That's three things I'm yelling at. Yeah. Yeah. Too so, much. Too much. We're going backwards as far as the C word goes. But anyway. So well, that, well, that's what I, and I, then I wrote a bit about that. I think I said that uh, all I found out was that, uh, when you say the word cunt, it's a long row back to the island of funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who else did you, have you worked with? Oh, man, a million people. Like what, I, worked, uh, I worked with Emo Phillips back in the day. When he was big? When he was big, wearing the uh, the, the suit, yeah. the, the tuxedo with the tails that bent up yeah. in the back <laughs> yeah. and, the, and the haircut. And uh, at the time, again, this is one of those open for Paula Poundstone moments yeah. where yeah, you yeah. think that it's important. What you did was important. Yeah. But in the grand scheme of things, it's really not uh, I opened for Emo Phillips too, so there the resume grew. Mm-hmm. But I also was driving him to the air, to the hotel after the shows at night. Mm-hmm. Well, the night before I'm supposed to open with him, someone else opened. I drive him to the hotel, and I go, "Hey, man, I'll be opening for you tomorrow. You're the biggest star I've ever opened for." And he goes, "Then you'll want to take a left here." <laughs> okay. I go to light up a cigarette. He's like, "Please, please, don't smoke. Don't smoke. My health." I go, oh, I didn't know you were sick. He's like, I'm not. My health. So then we drive on, and I, I pull up to the hotel, and I go, uh, hey, man, it's going to be great working with you tomorrow. And he goes, don't worry. Maybe Mark Pitta will come to town. What? Oh my <laughs> like, God. one day you'll get to open for Mark Pitta. And I'm like, what the hell's uh, you know, I don't like that kind of shit. <laughs> kind like, of- could you just be a person? <laughs> fucking be a person. You he's know, a person I, now, I think, more so. Yeah, I mean, I, but he's still a little peculiar in terms of, like, conversation. It's By like, the way, yeah. I did open for Mark Pitta later. <laughs> uh, Have you done his gig up at the theater? Yeah, I did. It's awesome. It is great, isn't it's it? so awesome. It's like all these rich, happy people are half drunk on wine, and they just come out to this beautiful theater, and they laugh at everything. Yeah, and they love him, too. I, I went there, and Robin Williams showed up, and I was like, oh, fuck. You know, because I like Robin. Nice guy. Right. But I'm like, not, I'm not going on after him. This is my night. You know, I'm headlining. If he wants to go on, can he go on after me? And he was, and Robin was fine with that. Of course, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a great guy. I, very great. Same thing when I was there. Yeah. And, but it was very funny. There was a couple of things where, a couple of things happened where he, Robin, uh, he, if he locks in on you, you, you have to fight to get out of, you know, like he'll <laughs> right. just, he'll enmesh you in Robin energy. Well, kind of like with Rick Overton, too. Yeah, exactly. Same thing. Like, hey, how you doing? He like, will oh take my you God. over. Yeah. Like, it's like the, it's like, uh, the uh, emotional, um, equivalent of the blob you're like being absorbed uh, by this force yeah elverton's exactly the same way and right up to when i'm going on robin's like oh mark maron's going on and i literally said robin could you please get out of me get out of me i have to go on stage now and he's like oh okay okay and then he <laughs> and then like he did this thing where i know i know robin i know what he likes to do he likes to be the center of attention no matter what. No matter what. So he says, oh, I'll just go. I'm going to go on the balcony. You know, And so he's up in the balcony where no one can see him, right? But every joke that didn't do quite uh, as good as I wanted to, where there was a little silence, I hear him go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> right? And I knew that was just him throwing a line out. Like, you know, like, and, I, and I looked at him, and they didn't know it was him. I'm like, I'm not doing, I'm not playing with you. I'm doing this. We're not going to play. <laughs> <laughs> I remember meeting uh, Rick Overton when I first came out to L.A. Yeah. And uh, same kind of thing. I, I thought, you know, I'm going to say hi to the guy because I think he's really funny. Yeah. And he's so ballsy. Yeah. That he was an influence. But I said, uh, you know, I, I'll just keep it. I'll just say hi real quick and I'll, I don't want to keep him. Yeah. You know. Well, I, 
10 minutes later, I'm the one going, look, dude. I got to go. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I got to run. <laughs> yeah, with Overton's like, Mark Marin. And, you know, he'll just get right on. He's like, I don't know about this George Bush thing. And, you know, and, and it's like these tendrils. All of a sudden, you're like, oh, my God. I can't get out. I can't get out. It's, it's a wonderful place to be, though. It, it is, actually. It's very it's it's uh, invigorating. Yeah, Kennison was like that, too. Did you ever work with Hicks? Yeah, I did, uh, just before he died. Yeah. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And when he was sick and he had the... Uh, well, no, he knew, but no one else knew at the time. Where where was and, that? Uh, and the funny thing was, is I was middling that week at the Austin Cap City. Well, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, the Austin Laugh Stop at the time. Right. And uh, I'm at the. He's at the same hotel. I don't know this, but I was supposed to middle for him. And I'm like, great, yeah. finally. Yeah. You know. Well, he said, no. You know, remember, he was ill at the time. He just wanted his friend, uh, is it Johnny Sanchez that lives there, okay. to open for him. You know, you want your friends yeah, around sure. you, and sure. And he said, I just want them to focus on the stage till I get up. I don't need some, you know. The, the the funniest guy in the area going yeah, yeah. up or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I heard anyway. So I went and saw him anyway. And the next day, my car packed to the gills. I was going to drive to San Francisco. And coming out of the parking lot of the hotel, there's Bill. And I pulled up. Hey, Bill Hicks, man. I said, you're the best. And he's like, that's great. Where, where are you going? I said, San Francisco. And he was very helpful. He was giving me all kinds of advice and all this stuff. And, then, oh, he goes, are you the guy that got bumped? I go, yeah. He goes, did you get paid? I go, yeah. He goes, well, hell, bump me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, he was a really sweet guy, you know, when he sat down and talked to him. Do you remember? I think we did, speaking of dead guys, I think we did the competition with Mitch. Yeah, we did. did. Yeah. yeah. Remember, I think he was just calling himself Mitch then. Uh, yeah, Hedberg, uh, I met him way, way back when I'd only been on stage like five times or mm-hmm. something. Just this this homeless looking guy in the back in the dark. Yeah, yeah, with his you long know, hair. Was yeah, he wearing he was, the bandana he goes, hey, then? Hey, come here, come here. And I go, what? <laughs> he goes, you're good, man, you're good. Where, where do you... Uh, come out of i go dallas what's the comedy scene like out there uh, it's good it's good oh it's just like, like this dark figure in the yeah, thing yeah. i'm like Who? yeah and i was on the way out the door i, go, I gotta go no 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 don't go <laughs> <laughs> he likes you he liked you to hang around yeah. I, the, the one funny mitch Hedberg story uh, that, that i thought was weird just because like um i was in indianapolis and i'd done the gig there and then everyone goes to this bar that you know the the comics hang out at because the owners of the club owned it and i'm sitting at the bar with some other comics and we're drinking and uh, one of the waitresses comes up to me and goes, Mitch Hedberg's on the phone for you. I'm like, Mitch is on the phone for me? Why, why would he even call me? You know, this is before he was famous or anything else. Why is, why is he looking for me? And I, go, and I go into the back into the kitchen. I go, hello? Hey, I go, hello? He goes, hey, it's Mitch. And I go, what's up? He goes, I know how Indianapolis works. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Do you feel good? About this? Yeah. I don't know. Really? No. I think we had a good conversation. We can always redo it. Sure. <laughs> we can do it, and then we'll do yours, and, you, and when you get yours up on iTunes. Can I mention my website? Absolutely. It's uh, roberthawkins.biz. Dot biz. Dot biz. B-I-Z. It's Robert Hawkins biz. This is one of the great unsung heroes. There's a free Stanford comedy album. album there on the on the front. Free comedy album. Yes. If you don't know who Robert Hawkins is, you're missing something. <laughs> How's that? Yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, talk to you soon. <laughs> Thanks, dude. You know, there's something I want to clear up. I got a few emails from uh, women, and um, I guess, well, I did. Okay, I made a comment when I was talking to Dove Davidoff. I used the word fat pig in relation to a woman, and I believe that we sexualized the discussion. And in a couple of emails, one primarily, I was accused of being misogynist. I'll address that in a second. Uh, 
And then in another one, I hurt someone who has weight issues. I hurt their feelings. And I apologize. I sincerely apologize. But you know a little bit about me. And there's nothing I can do to explain that. And it's an interesting conversation to have. Because for some reason, we we obese people, there seems to be a license to make fun of, of, of fat people or obese people. And, and I don't really want to be that person. And I had to track it down in my own heart, in my own mind, you know, why I said that, because I don't say that, and I said it publicly, and I said it you know, on the podcast, and, and I had to you know, assess it. And my, look, I have food issues. I was brought up by an anorexic mother who was fat as a child, and her biggest fear in the world was being fat. And I have said this before. I really think for the first nine years of my life, I was a chunky kid. I think she looked at me as her fat. She thought it, it, that if she would just stop eating, maybe I would disappear. I was reading calorie counting books and diet books when I was eight years old. Everybody in my house, all they talked about was not eating or eating too much or not. I, I grew up with uh, uh, my entire life uh, uh, sitting down at restaurants and my mother saying, do you really need that? Do you really need that? So I have a deep ingrained fear of fat i have a I, I feel like a fat person inside i'm obese i have an obese inner child and that statement just uh, the the uh, my mother used to grab my hand if she was walking with me it was if i when i was a kid if a if an obese person or a fat person was walking by she would grab my hand hard and go oh my god look at that so i i think it just came out of where that type of thinking comes from you know just just fear and uh, and a certain amount of of contempt for myself and 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 fear of fat and I apologize. I uh, I'll try to be a little more sensitive to that. As far as being a misogynist, because I think that Dove and I sexualized. I I look, look. I don't think I'm a misogynist. I don't hate women. I have nothing against women. I respect women as equals. I I like women. Uh, if the question is, do I think about having sex with women, most women? Yes. Do I sexualize women? Yes. Do I objectify them occasionally? Yes. Occasionally in my mind. And what do you mean occasionally? I think about having sex with a lot of people. I can't stop that. That doesn't mean I'm a sexist. And women of all shapes, sizes, and ages. It doesn't. It, 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 I, I'm not specific but you can't criticize me for that and call me a misogynist because, you know, occasionally, why do I keep saying occasionally like I'm trying to dismiss it? I think about having sex with women a lot. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's anything sexist about it. It's just the way the brain works. I'm happy to get to know women, but a lot of times they're just walking by and I don't have time for that. So I just have to think about having sex with them. Does that make me a bad person? I mean, come on, cut me a little slack. I apologize about the fat pig statement. But I, I am, I'm not going to censor my brain from thinking about having sex with women. Like right now, I'm doing it. I'm thinking about it right now. Okay, I stopped. So I can stop it. So I, I guess that's good, right? All right, that's it. That's it. The next time I see you, I will be... See you. The next time I talk to you, I will be in the garage back at the cat ranch. But... Uh, this dispatch has been uh, from the cottage. I don't know what the... You know what? I'm not going to get into it. I'm done with it. Indiana. Bloomington, Indiana. 
It's been fun. Hope you enjoyed the show. Just remember, if you want uh, anything comedy-related in the form of information, go to punchlinemagazine.com for any WTF-related stuff. Go to WTFpod.com, justcoffee.coop. You can follow us on Twitter. You can send us money. You can look at pictures, videos. There's some videos up there. You can... I I don't know. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. Thanks for listening. I hope you had a good run or a good drive or... Uh, you're, you're having fun in your cubicle. I made your life easier somehow because that's what I'm here to do, to make you forget that you don't like you. <laughs>